We've come to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, Paul has two things that really drive him in regard to this church. Number one, he loves them. Now, remember, he's a missionary. The term in the New Testament is evangelist. But really, Paul's a missionary. He, as a matter of fact, he said, I, I only want to go where the gospel's never been before. So he spends a year and a half in Corinth. Because he loves these people and he wants to see them deeply discipled. So it's, it's a passionate thing with him and them. And that's where he's going to start today. But then he's going to jump into the other issue and then come back to the issue of his relationship with them. Now, he's going to jump in an issue because the other thing he fears for them, and this is why he's so concerned about them moving away from what he teaches. They have no New Testament. They only have the Old Testament. These guys have come in behind him and they're pulling them back into rules. And, and Paul's concern is... Because only, the church only does one of two things, every church. It either, through its walk with Christ, impacts its culture, or the culture impacts and changes the church. Now, I don't think our job is to change our culture. I think our job is to be a light inside our culture so that people will come to Jesus Christ and discover what we have. He is terrified that this is going to be damaged. And Corinth was like, I mean, I grew up, we took our dates into New Orleans when I grew up in high school. Most people, tourists, go to Bourbon and Orleans. But if you get off those streets and get into kind of the bowels of New Orleans, you find the foul stench that is there. Corinth was basically a New Orleans of its day. It was vile. And so he's concerned because he doesn't want the church to adopt the culture. So he starts out, look in verse 11. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Then drop down in chapter 7, verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. So he picks that back up, okay? So we're going to look at that next Sunday morning. But now we look at what he says here inside the passage, which is one way in which he wants to make sure that the culture doesn't corrupt the church. Now, it will appear that he's laying out a rule, but he's not. He's going to give an inference from a principle. So listen to what he says. Verse 14, chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, I don't think we can get any clearer than that statement. Here it is. You can't marry someone who does not believe what you believe about Jesus. That's it. What about a Baptist marrying a Catholic? Bad on both ends. I don't, I'm being funny there. You can see you going. He just attacked Catholics in church. No, no, it's bad on both ends. We're both crazy. Nothing wrong with that. As long as both people believe the same thing about Jesus and the method of salvation. You can't marry someone that doesn't believe that. Can't tell you. Over particularly 30 years of pastoring in a college town. How many? People have come into my office, sat down, 
and said to me, look, I'm dating this guy. I know he's not a Christian, but God is leading me to marry him. And then they'll tell me the tale, and I know this happens sometimes. They'll tell me the tale of somebody that married an unbeliever. That person came to Christ, and they believe that God's spoken to them, and they're going to lead this person to Christ, so they go ahead and marry. That's not the Holy Spirit. You say, well, that's pretty arrogant. How dare you say that? I dare say that because in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, it says the Holy Spirit wrote this book and he does not contradict himself. So when he says you don't marry an unbeliever, you don't marry an unbeliever. You do not marry anybody who doesn't believe what you believe about Jesus. It's that simple. Now, <clears throat> what that implies though, okay, what that implies is that you can fall in love with anybody. I mean, look at my wife. <laughs> you can fall in love with anybody. Curse on her life, but that's okay. Mormons, for example. Now, you can't be a Christian and believe Mormon doctrine. Jesus and Satan are not half-brothers. Adam did not become a god have relations with Mary and produce Jesus. And ladies, let me just tell you, in Mormon theology, for eternity, you get a planet to populate, which means you are pregnant for all eternity. Now ladies, that ought to be enough right there <laughs> to end that concept. So you really can't be a believer and believe in Mormon doctrine. Now, here's the deal, though. Now, I'm sure there are, but I've never met a mean Mormon. I met some mean Southern Baptists, but I've never met a mean Mormon. They dress modestly, they're nice, they're friendly, they're mannerly, they're kind. When you're dating, and the guys in your youth group are not that way, and here's this guy that is, you're going to migrate toward the guy that's nice. And you can fall in love with anybody at any time. So you have to make sure that before you date, your first question is, tell me what you believe about Jesus. If they don't believe what you believe about Jesus, and I think this includes high school, it includes college, then there is no dating. You don't date anybody that does not believe what you believe about Jesus because you can fall in love with him. Now, here's what happens, though. If you don't date people that, believe what you believe, that don't believe what you believe about Jesus, it narrows the field of whom you can date. Now, I don't have any sociological documentation Okay, I'm just telling you what I've seen in 30 years of being here. I've seen a whole lot more godly women than I've seen godly men. We have a ton of young girls that have left Texas A&M that I can call names out that are gorgeous physically, godly, in their early 40s and late 30s, and they've never married. And the reason they haven't married is not because something's wrong with them, it's because something's right with them. 
They have chosen to limit their field to men who absolutely believe what they believe about Jesus. And that has limited the number of people they can date. And so now they're in their 40s and their prospect of marrying is getting dimmer and dimmer. And what we do as a church is we tend to take those people and kind of think maybe something's wrong with them. And I'm talking to myself or as much as anybody else. We tend to ask them a question we shouldn't ask them. What's the question we shouldn't ask them? Are you dating anybody? Because that question implies if you're not, there's probably something wrong with you. When you see somebody in this church and they're in their 40s and they're not married and they've never been married and they love Jesus Christ, there is not anything wrong with them at all. There is something right with them totally. And we need to praise them and honor them for who they are in Jesus Christ. Because the field does narrow. And that's why people begin to step away from the field because they don't want to be lonely. You say, well, why can't, why can't I marry? Why can't I have that happen? Why can't I marry somebody that doesn't believe what I believe about Christ? Look at this, 14b. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will make my dwelling among them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. Be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, now listen to this. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, here it is. The goal in your life as a believer is to bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. Righteousness is the goal in your life. Now, we looked a couple of Wednesday nights ago at the book of Ecclesiastes, which is probably Solomon wrote it at the end of his life, but he talks about people that don't know God, don't believe in God, and what they do in life. And basically what he says in the book is they seek happiness to find pleasure. And that at the end of the day, that does not work. You do not seek happiness to find pleasure. You seek holiness to find joy. There is a distinction. All right. We have three. Which word I want to use? Three moral codes. Only three. We have bad people running for office. <laughs> we have good, goodness. And we talked about this. Goodness is what a man without Christ can do if he wants to. Then you have righteousness. A man without Christ can't perform righteousness. Only a believer filled with the Holy Spirit can be righteous. Now, if you marry an unbeliever and they never come to Christ, they can't, what does he say? 
They can't have partnership with you. They can't have fellowship with you. They can't have accord with you. There is no portion with you. There is no agreement with you because they can't be righteous. Now, again, you want to know the difference between goodness and righteousness? You go to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, right? You've heard, uh, you know, you shouldn't have an affair. There are a lot of people that don't know Jesus that stay true in their marriage. But you can't really be righteous where you only look at your spouse unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You can pray as a good man, but what you'll pray is what you want. Righteousness is when you enter your closet, according to Matthew 5, and you pray what God wants. You can go to church as a good man. You can't worship a living Christ in the Spirit unless you're filled with His Spirit. So there is a righteousness that he can't have. When you marry somebody that's lost, you can't partner here. You can't agree here. You can't fellowship here. You can't have good accord here. So, face a really hard choice. You have to decide. Because if you live out righteousness, one of two things will happen with this person. One is they will look at this, according to 1 Peter, and be one without a word and come and say, you know, your righteousness has convicted me. I need your Jesus. That's great. That can happen. But if it does not, then they're going to step back and despise your righteousness because your righteousness is a reminder to them every day of who and what they are not. And they will begin to do everything they can to pull you back into goodness. And if you're going to make the marriage work and get off this, man, every day he's beating me up. And you, you decide, look, I, I've got to get some relief. You're going to have to settle back into goodness or even sometimes into badness. You're going to have to settle back there because that's the only place you're going to have fellowship in the marriage. And it's what you'll do. And it becomes a struggle. Because if you chase holiness for joy, and your spouse is chasing happiness for pleasure. You're going to have a different idea of what friends ought to be. You're not going to want to have the friends that you go out with and they're not cheating on their spouse, but they love to tell dirty jokes at supper. You're going to find yourself in the middle of that thing, and I just don't enjoy this. You're going to find that you don't want to go to the same kind of movies. Not because you're self-righteousness, but because of things that didn't bother you, now really bother you. You don't want to go and watch certain things in a movie. You don't want to see certain things in a movie. But this guy, he's not cheating on you, but he's going to take you to a movie that you don't like, but it doesn't bother him because he's not righteous. This brings him happiness, which results in pleasure, but it doesn't bring holiness to you because your spirit's going, I don't like this. You're going to disagree with money. You become righteous, you're going to want to give money to Jesus Christ, and he's going to say, oh, come on. We're not going to tithe. We'll kick in a little bit. We're not tithing. I'm not giving up the boat so that church can have another building. See, what you discover is you don't have any fellowship. You don't have any agreement. You don't have any accord. And you only have two options. You either spend the rest of your life 
in a marriage that you're battling or you step back and you succumb either into goodness or badness, neither of which, neither of which honors Jesus Christ. Goodness does not honor Jesus. Righteousness does. That's why he says pursue holiness, complete it in the fear of God. But we have a responsibility. You don't marry an unbeliever. You say, well, I've done that. What do I do? I would tell you two things. Don't step away from a pursuit of holiness. Don't compromise who you are because of the pain in the relationship. And number two, you ask God to take your holiness and speak to your spouse about who Jesus is and that you manifest him in your life. And let me be clear here, okay? God will honor that prayer because it's his will. But let me be clear, the enemy's going to come to you every time you fail and say, man, your husband's not coming to Christ because look what you did. Listen, all of us sin. That is not on you. It is on the Holy Spirit who will take the direction of your life He doesn't say you're perfect, but he says you, in the fear of the Lord, seek a completion of holiness. In other words, it's not complete in your life. That's what you're moving after. When you move after, are you going to be mad at him some days? What wife does not at some point want to shoot her husband? And what wife at some point doesn't probably have justification? You're going to have days when it's just not good. It doesn't matter. You have not kept your husband from Christ. Anybody that misses Jesus, they don't miss it because of what I or you do. They miss it because of their own heart. Your simple job is to demonstrate righteousness in the middle of that environment. You say, well, why should I do that? I mean, really, at the end of the day, I am tired, preacher, and I'm worn out, and I don't understand why I should do that. I have a real simple answer here. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12. That's why you do it. Because the only reason you can sit in this room, the only reason you can sit in this room and sing to Jesus Christ and know that when you die, you've got a guaranteed destiny. You know where you're going when you die. He's coming to get you. The only reason you have that is because your Savior chose holiness in a full completion that resulted in joy, which is you and I sitting in this room in love with Him. We do it because it's what Jesus Christ did Himself. So we honor Him by who we are. And I know I, I, I don't want to say what is said here lightly. I understand. I go home to a great wife, and I understand that if you choose this, there's some of you in this room that you're never going to marry. You had this dream of marrying. And you're not going to make it. 
because you're not going to find. And I'm, I know that's hard. I know it's difficult. But again, you choose holiness and joy, not happiness and pleasure. And that's not just true for those that are single and unmarried. It's true for every single one of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's clarity. Even it's a difficulty. Father, this is one of those passages easy to understand, but hard to live sometimes. So number one, I want to thank you for the singles in this church that have, they're single because they've lived this out. Honor them. And Father, as a church, let us honor them. And let them be an example to us that we don't chase happiness, we chase joy. As we don't chase goodness, we chase holiness. Father, drive that into us. I ask you that in Jesus Christ's name. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Never met Jesus Christ. It's a great day to find him. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship. We want you to do that. As his Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, in accordance with this book, you come.